Hello, and welcome to the Re-Re-Read podcast, where we consider what contemporary writers like you and me can learn from classic literature. Today's topic is our last look at Moby Dick, and we'll be speaking about the double ending, or the ambiguities, and how to make them work for you. We did it. We finished reading Moby Dick, or at least after this podcast, we'll be finished talking about it. But first, let's talk about the ending of Moby Dick, or rather, its endings. I'm certain there's an academic treatise out there about double endings, which seem quite common in literary fiction. What do I mean by double ending? It varies. You can have the did-it-happen-or-not ending, as in H.G. Wells' The Door in the Wall, a future re-re-read topic, which is intended to make us question the relationship between reality and fiction. In a variation of this ending, in another upcoming topic, The Overcoat, justice happens in the realm of the fantastic, but remains elusive in the real world in which the protagonist lives and dies. Or there can be literally two endings, as we have in Moby Dick, the Pequod's demise followed by the epilogue that explains how Ishmael survived. I will now take a stab at the probably useless question of what separates most literary fiction from most genre fiction. Looking through the lens of Moby Dick, it seems to me that the issue has less to do with relative emphasis on character versus plot and more with the role of ambiguity. Pure genre fiction, if there is such a thing, intentionally resolves ambiguity. The story may bring up difficult political or philosophical issues that it doesn't fully reconcile, but the main purpose of its storytelling is to answer the questions that the story has set up. Who killed the winemaker? Do they catch the rogue shark? Does she escape from that awful basement, and how? Literary fiction thrives on ambiguity, and a double ending affirms its importance by placing ambiguity front and center. Such an ending holds ambiguity up to the light so we can see its facets. In Moby Dick, the ambiguity derives from the acknowledgement of different levels of experience, fantastic or fictive, real-world, personal, collective, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and so on, which occur at the same time, intersecting, colliding, and diverging. So, the first and most obviously necessary ending is the final battle with Moby Dick, after which the Pequod and all its sailors, but one, are dragged by the whale into a watery hell. The whole bit's pretty impressive, I must say. Action-packed, gory, foamy, all capped off with a stunning final image, followed and blanketed, so to speak, by the biblical flood. But as the last whelmings intermixingly poured themselves over the sunken head of the Indian at the mainmast, leaving a few inches of the erect spar yet visible, together with long streaming yards of the flag, which calmly undulated, with ironical coincidings over the destroying billows they almost touched, at that instant a red arm and a hammer hovered backwardly uplifted in the open air, in the act of nailing the flag faster, and yet faster, to the subsiding spar, a skyhawk that tauntingly had followed the main truck downwards from its natural home among the stars, pecking at the flag, an incommoding Tashtego there, this bird now chanced to intercept its broad fluttering wing between the hammer and the wood, and simultaneously feeling that ethereal thrill, the submerged savage beneath, in his death gasp, kept his hammer frozen there, and so the bird of heaven, with archangelic shrieks, and his imperial beak thrust upwards, and his whole captive form folded in the flag of Ahab, went down with his ship, which, like Satan, would not sink to hell till she had dragged a living part of heaven along with her, and helmeted herself with it. Now small fowls flew screaming over the yet yawning gulf, a sullen white surf beat against its steep sides, then all collapsed, and the great shroud of the sea rolled on as it rolled five thousand years ago.
So, you know, that's pretty good. You've got your heaven and your hell, the sea swallowing the just and the unjust alike. And then the sea rolls on over the Pequod and over its finished story. So why, then, do we need Ishmael's epilogue? Melville, or Ishmael, asks the same question, starting with a quotation from the book of Job. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. The drama's done. Why, then, here does anyone step forth? Because one did survive the wreck. It so chanced that after the Parsi's disappearance, I was he whom the fates ordained to take the place of Ahab's bowsman, when that bowsman assumed the vacant post, the same who, when on the last day the three men were tossed from out of the rocking boat, was dropped astern. So, floating on the margin of the ensuing scene, and in full sight of it, when the half-spent suction of the sunk ship reached me, I was then, but slowly, drawn towards the closing vortex. When I reached it, it had subsided to a creamy pool— round and round then, and ever contracting towards the button-like black bubble at the axis of that slowly wheeling circle, like another Ixion I did revolve, till, gaining that vital center, the black bubble upward burst, and now, liberated by reason of its cunning spring, and owing to its great buoyancy, rising with great force, the coffin lifebuoy shot lengthwise from the sea, fell over, and floated by my side." Buoyed up by that coffin, for almost one whole day and night I floated on a soft and dirge-like mane. The unharming sharks, they glided by as if with padlocks on their mouths. The savage seahawks sailed with sheathed beaks. On the second day a sail drew nearer, nearer, and picked me up at last. It was the devious cruising Rachel that in her retracing search after her missing children only found another orphan." Of course, the epilogue takes care of the logistical question of how this story got told if everyone on board, as it first appears, perished. It also brings back the thread of Ishmael's friendship with Queequeg, which has been dropped for the bulk of the story. It's Queequeg's coffin, which he had made when he thought he was dying, but wasn't yet, that saves his beloved Ishmael from drowning. It's a last gesture of love, though accidental, from the unmarked grave. It seems the sinking of the Pequod was too big a place for Melville to leave the story. He wants to go out with both the bang of the great ocean and the whimper of the single, radically alone human being. The rolling sea of 5,000 years ago is stirring and appropriate, but that word orphan is one little harpoon in the reader's heart. So yes, writers, you can have it both ways. Try going for the double ending with each one unfolding on a different plane. <laughs>